welcome to The Intersect. I'm Eric Tischler. Apt Associates tackles complex challenges around the world, ranging from improving health and education to assessing the impact of environmental changes. For any given problem, we bring multiple perspectives to the table. We thought it would be enlightening and maybe even fun to pair up colleagues from different disciplines so they can share their ideas and perhaps spark new thinking about how we solve these challenges. Today I'm joined by two of those colleagues, Drs. Rucha Landi and Eric Hedberg. Rucha helps apt teams bring an equity perspective into their work, notably providing evaluation project teams with a framework for including equity-based principles in data collection, analysis, and reporting. Eric is a sociologist. His research includes investigating the design of evaluations in education and criminology. Welcome. Thank you, Eric. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thanks, Eric. Many social policy programs are designed to help people who have historically been denied equitable opportunities and benefits as a result of longstanding systemic biases. We evaluate such programs to determine if they work, if they're correcting and addressing those biases. But what happens when the evaluation itself is biased? How can we get the data we need to understand, to say nothing of solve, the problems we face? Um, and so, Eric, I'm going to start with you because uh, the idea of this podcast came from something you said on another podcast, and I'm not jealous. You want to talk about uh, the epiphany you had about this? about your own struggles with equity and evaluations? Uh, yeah. Thanks, Eric. Um, I think, you know, it's not been one epiphany, but it's been sort of this growing recognition of realizing that just because I have a degree in sociology and just because I tend to work a lot with numbers and s statistics, this realization that those are not tickets out of the human biases that can enter any discussion or product or... Uh, piece of research. And so this happened over the course of the last 15 years of my career or so when, you know, I've sort of been checked a couple of times and, you know, when you sort of get checked once, you're like, okay, maybe, but you get checked again and then you get checked again. I think it's a responsible human thing to do. It's just to sort of say, okay, what are my assumptions that I'm bringing to this table and sort of really, where am I right? Where am I wrong? And trying to understand that, you know, one of the places that really stands out in my head is when I was designing a survey, it was a social network survey. I was asking Arizona high school students, you know, I asked them to name friends and family and teachers and, you know, in the family section, it was really important that I knew the type of relationship they had with the people that they named. And I was also like really worried about the length of the survey. And I sort of said, okay, there's a parent and there's siblings. And then I kind of collapsed everyone else into this other bin. And that really just came from my own experience in sort of urban Midwest of like this, your parents and your brothers, and that's the bulk of everyone else you only see on the holidays. And that was dumb of me to do, but at least I was smart enough to put together a community group to review my survey before I put it in the field. And the community group represented members of the community that I was surveying, which included a lot of people from Latino Hispanic origin. And they checked me on it. They're like, okay, cousins and aunts and uncles are different and important and need to be their own categories in these questionnaires. And I realized that I almost deleted and destroyed a bunch of data before mm. I even collected it. Mm. One other story, I was doing an evaluation, and this was in the recent years as our sort of culture has really worked to catch up to our population in terms of gender identity. Again, community members said, you know, you really need to have more than just male and female checkboxes in your survey. You know, they, they offered additional suggestions. And I had this sort of dual reaction. As a statistician, I'm like, okay, but I'm going to kind of collapse them all into some other category. I'm not going to get enough individuals to be able to find an impact and so on and so forth. But then I realized 
that there's a certain amount of being seen in the answer categories on a survey. And that even though I may not analyze it as such, because I don't have enough information about any one particular gender category, it's respectful to the population that I'm trying to survey. And I think it's a way of individuals seeing themselves in the answer choices. And if I didn't take that advice, I may have had non-response. I may have, again, lost data because of my choices. And so realizing that, yeah, math is pretty immune to a lot of human biases, but what we feed the math is not. Therefore, our results are not. So this has sort of been a growing epiphany as I've been trying to be better at this over my career. That's a great summation there. And Rucha has been nodding assiduously throughout that. Rucha, you want to jump in here? And, you know, how, obviously looking at bias and evaluation is something you do regularly. What are things that you see? And you can, you can comment on what Eric said, but what else are you seeing? Sure. So those are great examples, Eric. And what I wanted to do was take those examples and sort of take a step back and look at the process itself and how we need to be thinking about equity at each of those different steps in the process. Um, where I would like to start is that using an equity lens um, starts even before the researcher actually starts his research. So we as researchers need to examine our own background, our own biases, both explicit and those even implicit that we may not even be immediately aware of. We need to examine those as we take the first step into thinking about research. And what we really need to do is make a promise. This promise is to dive deeper into the data, to be able to get to the root causes, to fully understand the context before drawing any conclusions. That getting deeper into the data would look uh, like would look different in different contexts, some of which what uh, Eric just talked about, uh, maybe it is about pulling together a group of stakeholders, a group of community members, help us understand, help us make meaning out of those data. So it's going to look different in different contexts, but what we what's important is this promise we make or that we start with that, yes, I'm going to dive deeper into these data to really understand where these data are coming from before I draw any conclusions. Once we have our studies and once we sort of dive into whether it's a study, it's an evaluation, experiment, whatever it is, equity needs to be at the cornerstone of each and every step then in the process. So right from what questions are we trying to answer and all the way through what instruments are we going to use to collect data? And as um, in Eric's example, how are those instruments themselves conducted and how are the questions on the instruments written? Um, all of those. And then also the question about who are the data collected from? How are the data being collected? Is there equitable access for everybody to make sure that their data is available to this researcher? All of those questions are also important. Most importantly is that it does not depend whether we are conducting a qualitative research or a quantitative. An equity lens is a lens that can be applied to all kinds of research methodologies and should be applied to all research methodologies. It's, it's, it's basically an ideology. It's an approach and that is applicable and should be applied to each and every research. So I was going to ask, um, you know, there's that promise, but about the promise at the outset, it, it, practically speaking, that's that community inclusion piece. Is that what we're you're referring to? Yes, it is. 
it is the promise of community inclusion, but it's it community inclusion, community uh, involvement is is one part of it. The promise is really to make sure that you are understanding the data to the fullest possible extent, and the community is going to help you understand those data. Involving people, involving people that are most impacted by your data, engaging that community um, and engaging them in every step of the way is going to help you understand the data. And I also think it's a promise to be curious. It's a promise to not assume you know everything. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a promise to be willing to be wrong. I mean, we are scientists. And, you know, we have PhDs, which is a doctor in philosophy, which is Greek for love of learning. So we're doctor learnings here. And so that means we have to be open to being wrong, to understanding the wide variety of humanity that we're working with. And I think sometimes I've had quantitative researchers in my orbit, and I've even been guilty of this myself, that we think math buys us out of this responsibility or somehow because it's in a spreadsheet, it doesn't inherit all the human crap. And, it, you know, that's just wrong. So, you know, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, we need to be curious about where the data come from. We need to be curious about what it means to us, what it means to those we collect it from, and make that also part of our promise. I agree, because at the end of the day, it's not the data that we are dealing that we are working towards the final goal is creating and sustaining health and well-being of our individuals and our communities right that's like the ultimate goal of data a goal of research your ultimate goal is not the collection of just data you have to be able to make meaning out of those data as it relates to the individuals and communities where it came from oh, i love that another wonderful summation of, of what we're doing so let me so I, what i was going to ask is like you know but how, how does that apply from a process perspective because like, you can promise Right, but how do you ensure that you live up to that promise? But let me ask a different question that might incorporate the answer to that. And so, you know, how can we start implementing this, you know, in the processes we are using to conduct evaluations, practically speaking? I would say there there are a few uh, different points that I want to make with regards to that. Mm -hmm. One is uh, obviously starting off with the individuals themselves. Yes, data are what are going to tell us what what are what are being told about the individuals, but not losing sight of the fact that it's these individuals or communities that are important. And also that individuals, they're not unidimensional. So as researchers, we have to understand the intersectionality. And this is a term, intersectionality, that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, which helps us understand the multiple forms of inequity and disadvantage that compound themselves and create these obstacles if we don't understand these obstacles while evaluating from a single lens of reference, then we have really not understood the individuals that we are working with here. And that is essential. If we base our research on a single access theory and framework, then we are going to distort the multidimensional experience of the under-resourced, the marginalized populations. And it's going to limit our ability to fully understand what the root causes behind the data are that we collect. And as we already established, the data themselves are not our final goal, but the creating and sustaining health and well-being of individuals is our final goal. So I would definitely say that, in my mind, the consideration of intersectionality and along with that, 
working with the communities, the engagement of communities, which we've already been talking about since the beginning of this session, um, both of those, making sure that we include folks with lived expertise in each step of the way in research, engaging them from right from what the aim of the research or the study should be all the way to helping us make meaning out of the data that we collect. I think that is really essential. And that is something that we can be working towards uh, now, in the next 10 years, in the next 10 years, forever, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, taking that and bringing it to sort of my area of the shop, which is the analysis of the data, I think it's incredibly important to not only reinforce a mindset of intersectionality, we need to reinforce that with an intersectionality in the people working with the data. Unfortunately, when I go to conferences about statistics and, you know, about evaluation and, you know, a lot of the sort of heavy hitters that do the quantitative analysis kind of look like me. And that, you know, means that there's a lot of people with worldviews and experiences similar to mine working with the data. And, you know, I can make a promise to try my best, but there's nothing better than having a wide variety of people in the room working on the data, checking each other. And I really think if we th think about what would I like in the next five years, what would I like in, you know, the upcoming years and in the next generations of people doing our work is I would like, you know, the people in the nerd room to reflect the people in the world that we're studying. And, you know, and I think that has a lot, there's a lot of stuff that needs to go into doing that as far as education policy and the pipelines and all the rest of that stuff. But I think that needs to be a goal. And I think we need to come up with creative solutions to try to try accelerate that, um, that process, you know, while we try to also reform the pipeline. To me, that's really, really important because, you know, when I'm like recoding income and taking this, you know, very detailed column of information and trying to distill it, I'm making choices. Well, what is low income? Is it less than 50K? Is it less than 20K? Like, what does that mean? And, you know, it's so easy for me alone at my laptop to write information down that I check with no one. And so, again, I just, we need more and more people in the room on that. Great. Thank you. Well, I love that on this podcast called The Intersect, you both brought up intersectionality repeatedly. And that's something that obviously APT specializes in. So, uh, I'm glad that this is, you know, we, we're saying equity is the cornerstone of our work. And um, I think you guys have both given some great, see, see guys, I'm already using gendered language. Um, you can go it, with you folks. folks. You folks. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so th thank you uh, for discussing this with me and including it in your work. And thank you for joining us at The Intersect. Mm -hmm.